Good afternoon, Storehouse, if you'll join me in standing for the reading of God's word. James 5, 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, good afternoon. Not the preacher you wanted, but the preacher you're going to get today. Uh, surprise. Um, I'm kidding, but no, I'm not. Uh, Marco uh, said he wasn't feeling well. He became a little ill, and, and he told me to get something ready. And here I am with you today. If you heard Andrea today, we're going to be looking at James chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Uh, for those uh, that don't know me, my name is Alan, and I serve in various capacities here at our church, and today I'm going to be preaching and exploring God's Word alongside you in uh, patience and suffering. But before we dive into our time, if this is your first time visiting Storehouse, welcome. It is an honor and privilege to be able to host you and serve you in this way. And before you leave, do us a favor, swing by the lobby and fill out a connect card. On that card, there's going to be spaces where you could put your information and uh, you could put phone number, email, and we will have you connected and we're pretty good about uh, reaching back out to you. So. We would really love to hang out with you, take you out to lunch, dinner, maybe breakfast, or maybe you have some questions about a church. Uh, by all means, please do us a favor and fill one out before uh, you go. So I know we're in, in the book of James. I'm pretty sure everybody was like, what's going on? But uh, last week, Marco talked about the implications of our eschatology or implications of the end times. In other words, we believe what, what we believe about the end times it's really going to dictate how we live because it is really important. And so today, we're going to explore that a little bit more, uh, but we'll get a little bit more practical. Although this is a standalone sermon and it will be considered a standalone sermon, I really want to make it to go along with something that we've already been seeing or, or seen in these last couple of weeks. So we're not going to go from McAllen to Dallas, but maybe McAllen to Edinburgh, just down the street. Okay, so... J.C. Ryle, a famous theologian, once said this, True Christianity will cost the man the favor of the world. He must be content to be thought ill of by man if he pleases God. He must count it no strange thing to be mocked, ridiculed, slandered, persecuted, and even hated. No matter for how long you have been a Christian, whether that's for many years or if this is just recent, 
you have found what J.C. Ryle said to be true. For some of us, that suffering has left a lasting impact in the way that we live, but also the way that we view the world around us. And it is no surprise because the Bible talks about the reality of suffering very clearly and bluntly. It's not on the fine print of some legal document, and it's not one of those uh, medications that's being promoted on TV where they say all the negative effects super bad so you could just buy the medication. No, the, the, the Bible is really clear on suffering. It was Jesus himself who said, you will have tribulation. From the words of Paul, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And even in 1 Peter, do not be surprised at this fiery trial when it comes upon you as if though something strange or weird is happening. The reality of suffering is very real. You may even be going through something right now as you come to church. And I like to take the time and say, I'm sorry for the suffering that you may have been going through right now. I'm sure it's been a difficult season and this weather hasn't made it any easier. But you find yourself in good company because this is where the Christians that James is writing to found themselves. They were in the midst of suffering, in the, in the midst of persecution. And in the previous verses of chapter five, specifically verses one through six, James talks to the persecutors and calls them out and basically rips them up. If I could just read uh, verse one of chapter five, he says, come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He is basically pronouncing judgment on those people for their love of money and treating people poorly. However, in verses 7 to 12 that we'll be looking at today, he turns his attentions to the persecuted, the Christians. And he tells them this in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers. If we are going to understand and talk about patience, it is very important that we understand what this word means. And so we have to go back to the Greek to really get a grasp of what this word means. And in the Greek, it is makrothumea. And it really, it's composed of two words, macro. Some of you may be familiar with macrobiology, which is the study of uh, big living things. Well, in the Greek, it has more of a, of a meaning of long. Macro is long, and then tumea is tempered. So really, patience is to be long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. It means to be long-suffering, to have a long fuse. This is how we should face suffering in our daily life, in our Christian life, with patience, with long-suffering. And so how do we do that? Is it by magically going to YouTube and looking up some motivational videos or grabbing ourselves by the bootstraps and tackling the wor world? Well, no, something that we're really gonna learn today is that we cannot have true patience without the Lord. It is an impossibility. And so before um, we pray and, and, and get started, I would really love to give you my main idea. And this main idea is a catch-all sentence, which is really a summary of what we're gonna be talking about today. And this is it. In suffering, we must look to the Lord for patience. In suffering, we must look to the Lord 
for patience. And so James is going to walk us down three realities that, can, that we can meditate on that will help us be patient or long-suffering as we face long-suffering. And so before I pray, I kind of want to give you the, the, those three realities. The first one is for us to be patient, we must look to the Lord for his arrival. That is verse 7. Then we'll go into looking to the Lord for his establishing, verses 8, 9, and 12. And then finally, we'll land the plane uh, looking to the Lord for his purpose in verse 11. But before we do that, um, let's pray. Lord, thank you. We thank you for this day. I know we have had difficulties in these last couple of days, whether that be storms, family problems, marital problems, whatever it may be, Lord, you know that we are heavy burdened. And so as we come to you and listen to your word and hear you, we would pray that you would enlighten us with your word, that you would disarm us of our arguments, of our comebacks, of our justifications, and you would help us accept the word of God for the word of God. But more than that, Lord, I pray that, that as we leave from here, you would make us also doers of your word and not just hearers. Because that is how you know that we love you if we follow your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So looking to the Lord for his arrival. That is verse 7. It says this, be patient therefore brothers. Again, we know that is patience talking to believers. But then he says, until the coming of the Lord. So I'm not really going to elaborate on this as we have been talking about it these last couple of weeks, the coming of the Lord. And Marco uh, basically covered everything more or less there is to be about the coming of the Lord. And uh, next time we, we're, we're in a different series, we'll be in 2 Thessalonians and we'll talk more about the coming of the Lord. So I won't be really talking much of it, but I guess to kind of just add icing on top what we already know, this word coming is the most commonly used term for Christ's return. And this word, as we know it, doesn't really give justice to its weightiness or what it means. So we would really have to look at this in the Greek. And in the Greek, this word coming gives the idea of, yes, Christ's coming, but it's also his presence. It is Christ's coming and his presence. So in reality, we, we could call it or think about it as, as an arrival that we're waiting for. That is that Jesus is going to bless us with his coming and his presence, almost like the arrival of a king. So that is what we look at. And as we've seen in our study in 1 Thessalonians, the, the arrival of the Lord has been the drive of the church as it should continue to be the drive of the church. As a matter of fact, according to some theologians, one out of every 13 verses in the Bible talks about the second coming of Jesus. And even when we look at this couple of verses that we're going to, verses 7, 8, and 9 mention the return of Christ. So this is what we should look to as we suffer in our daily life, looking for, looking to the arrival of Jesus. And how can, though, this reality allow us to be patient? How can knowing that Jesus is returning allow us to be patient and wait in the midst of suffering. I understand that the coming of the Lord is something that a lot of Christians fear instead of rejoice over. 
Uh, and simply just because of previous circumstances like scare tactic, tactics or fear tactics or what have you. And uh, I would really like to apologize for that because that is not what the Bible has intended to do. It has not. For the Christians, we're to look to his arrival, and this helps us be patient because though we might be suffering right now through anguish, perhaps anger, persecution, hurt, it is not always going to be like this when Christ returns. So yes, we long to be with Jesus because we love him, but at the same time, as we suffer, our desire to want to be with Jesus increases. His arrival, our desire for uh, uh, during our suffering should increase as we suffer. So Marco said last week, and this is a quote, a knowledge of the future reality shapes our present readiness. And so as we've been navigating through this, again, when Christ returns, it's not always going to be about suffering. As a matter of fact, if we look to Revelations 21.4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. It's supposed to be a time of rejoicing because Jesus has returned. For the Christian, there is no judgment. That's the beauty about it. Yes, uh, our deeds and our good and bad deeds will be displayed, but everything has already been covered by the death of Jesus because he has paid those sins on our behalf. So for the Christian, it's just a matter of you're not guilty and you could come in. It's supposed to be a, a very joyous time when Jesus returns. And as I mentioned last week, Marco said, a knowledge of the future reality shapes our our present readiness, and that is 100% true. If our knowledge of the future is certain in the sense that we know and uh, and we truly know and understand what it means for Jesus to return, then it's going to shape the way that we prepare on this side, and for us, it is going to help us be patient. Paul says in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and not only is his time because suffering did not just occur in his time, but even in our time, so we could take it to mean right now. Your present suffering right now is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So the, 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 the coming of the Lord, the arrival of the Lord, the, the presence of the Lord should be something that we wait for and we anticipate eagerly, not one where we run away and scared by. And to kind of further solidify this point, James now moves on to an analogy about a farmer. This is what he says, finishing up verse 1 or 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. This word precious immediately caught my eye because to the farmer, the fruit was precious. And if this was a small-time farmer, then he literally was depending on this crop for his life. By the time that he already went through the season, he had already been fasting and just waiting for this precious fruit. But then we also see the word patience in there that we've been covering. Patience. He has long patience. He has long suffering. He's enduring hardship. 
as the crop is coming in. And so how long? Well, he says early and late rain. So maybe from fall to spring, the farmer plants and he waits from fall to spring. You know how difficult fall to spring is. Right? We're just done with this year already. I work at a school, and so we're like limping to the finish line. And I'm sure those of you that are teachers as well, right? So, so this, this period right here is a very tough period. But he waits. But he waits. And I want you to notice that James doesn't give us a timeline of when exactly that is when Jesus will return. Or the events that are going to happen or, or, you know, all of these crazy conspiracies of when Christ is going to come back. But the fact of the matter is, is that he is going to return. And as a farmer waits for precious fruit, we are to wait for our precious reward. It is supposed to be a very joyous time for the arrival of the Lord. And that is one of the ways, that is one reality in which we can have patience as we suffer. Look to the coming of the Lord. It's not always gonna be like this. James moves on. And he gets to verse eight, and now he's gonna tell us to look for his establishing as a way to be patient during difficult circumstances, during suffering. Verse 8 says, you also be patient. In other words, in the same way the farmer was, you know, just be like that, okay? But then he says, establish your hearts. This word establish gives the idea of propping oneself up. It is to be resolute, to make a commitment, to be committed. And we can look at this in one or two ways. It's the same coin but different side of it. When it comes to establishing When we were saved, that is exactly what happened to us at that time. When God gave us a new heart, the Lord moved our hearts in such a way that we immediately committed to him. He regenerated our hearts. He took out our heart of stone, gave us in a heart of flesh. And through that grace, we made a commitment. We followed him. It was a moment of desperation. If you could remember the time you came to Jesus, what must I do? What must I do? It was, it was a commitment. It was resolute. And that is an irresistible grace. But through all of it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And that's a theology term which we call monergism. And that is monergism is that Jesus alone is the sole agent that saves us. Jesus alone is the, whole, the sole agent that acts upon our hearts to change our hearts and to save us. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, monarchism. But however, there's a, still the other side of the coin. Because there's two. That was one side. That is, that is a salvific grace when, when, when we become saved. But also, as I mentioned, while the Lord does this work, and he should get all the credit, and it is all the Lord's work through and out. To him deserves all the glory. But as Christians, we are still called to still be committed. And in this context, even when we're faced by trials, we are to stand firm. That's a word that we call synergism. 
which means that, that that is our sanctification, where we are cooperating with God, we are cooperating with the Holy Spirit as he is molding our character. We are cooperating with God in our sanctification. We are not these robots that automatically are programmed to do what, what God has set it out to do when we come saved, no. Because to be frank, we don't know what's going on half the time. But we have a great responsibility in salvation. That synergism, we are cooperating with the Lord. He's given us a spirit, he has been equipping us, but we have responsibility. Why? Why this establishing of the heart? What is the point of this? Well, the following couple of words says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So the eminency of God, that, that's what, what is it, this is called. The eminency of God, that means at any point, any moment, Jesus can and will return. Any moment. That's the eminency of God, right? Some of us have experienced eminency. When we were smaller, parents walked in, we were doing stuff that we weren't supposed to be doing, being in places we're not supposed to be being. That's the eminency of God. He will come, and he will come quickly and fast. And I want to clarify this because some of us, again, has, have this crazy, very scary, I wouldn't say crazy, but scary idea of Christ's return. But I believe that James is using this in, the, in a very appropriate way. It's not a scare tactic. And I'll clarify as we go along. But the main idea here is the establishing of our hearts. Yes, the Lord has done that in our salvation, but yes, there is a responsibility that we carry as his children to continue the work in which he started. And then we get to verse 9. Often, though, you know, that, that's, that's what should happen. Right? That's perfect world case scenario. That's what should happen. But often, when we are faced with suffering, we can find ourselves to be anywhere, pretty much anywhere, but established. Yes, our faith might be intact. That doesn't mean that you're not a believer. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. And the Lord has established you in that way. However, when it comes to our responsibility to fulfill, that is where we stumble. That is where we fail. That is when we are unfaithful. And some of us, could be finding ourselves to have very fickle hearts when we suffer. This is what verse 12 says. I know I'm jumping around, but let, let's just uh, go down to verse 12. And he says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James has talked extensively about being fickle. If we go to chapter 3, verse 11, it says, Does the spring pour, pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Chapter 4, verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? 
Chapter 4, verse 8, you also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We just finished covering. And in in basically every chapter of the book of James, he talks about some type of fickleness. That is, uncommittedness, undecidedness, wavering. We're here one day, we're not here the next. One day I want this, one day I want that. But here, James is talking to the believers. Again, he's not saying that we're not saved, but that we have a tendency to be fickle when we suffer. And if it's not fickle hearts, we could find ourselves to be embittered hearted or be bitter hearted. Often these pressures of suffering, and you know how that feels, can cause us to be hurtful to those people that are trying to help us in our suffering. And namely, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers. Do not grumble. Don't complain. Right? Don't bicker amongst each other. Don't, don't, don't cause enmity amongst you. Don't fight amongst you. He's basically saying don't have a bitter and resentful heart to those who are trying to actually help you, those who actually care about you and are trying to help you in this circumstance. Those who are helping you, trying to stay firm, do not be bitter. Well, why? Following a couple of verses or words, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As much as the Lord is coming back to wipe away every tear, we have to. We have to acknowledge that he's also coming back as a judge. And when he returns, we want to be found with an established heart. And as I mentioned from the beginning, this isn't James trying to use a scare tactic like maybe you've heard before, well, if you don't behave and God comes, you're not going to go with him. But frankly, he's just being real. Paul says the same thing. Or, or, or the similar meaning, Romans 12, 1, he says, he says, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to, be pre- to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's like going to your wedding undressed in basketball shorts and a t-shirt. You, you wouldn't want to do that. Because when Christ comes, that's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be a wedding day where the husband comes for the wife, the groom comes for the wife, the bride, the church. So how are we then, and this is kind of overlaps with what Mark was talking about last week, how are we then preparing for this? In reality, this is an examination, a call to, to an examination of our hearts. How are our hearts? Where are we when it comes to bitterness? Have you been fickle? Have you been bitter? And I know that when suffering comes, we're really good at pointing the finger to people because always it's somebody else's fault or there has to be somebody else to blame. But for a moment, I I wouldn't want you to think, oh man, so-and-so should hear this sermon. No, I'm talking to you. So, How are our hearts? How are our hearts? 
First, let me tell you that I am sorry for the season that has been happening. If it's been a very, very hard season in which you have been suffering, there has been a lot of pain. I'm sure it's hard. But in, in, in the same manner, it is no excuse to justify sin by saying it's just a hard season. It's not an excuse. I would encourage you to look to Jesus as the one who establishes you, the one who gives you the strength. And this is what David had in mind when, when he was writing Psalm 144. He says, verses 1 and 2, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. Looking to Jesus is looking to the one who can establish you. So yes, there is this, again, there's a side of, of, of cooperating with the Holy Spirit. There's a side of synergism, but in the same manner, he also supplies us with what we need when we suffer. That's why David can say, yes, he trains my hands for war. Yes, he gets my fingers ready for battle, but at the same time, he's my fortress. He's my stronghold. He is my deliverer. He is my rock. So that should, that should instill patience in us, knowing I have a lifeline to go to when, when I'm in these situations because we are not alone. Jesus is the one who gives us strength in our weakness. He is the one who gives us joy in our sadness, and he gives us hope in our hopelessness. He establishes our hearts. And in that, if we meditate in that, we can certainly have patience in the world that is very chaotic. We're not alone. And then lastly, James says we should look to the Lord in suffering for his purpose. Verses 10 and 11. He says, verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Without a doubt, Old Testament prophets, I wouldn't want to be those guys. Okay? Uh, they, they, they have been martyred. Many of them were persecuted by their own family, by, by their own friends, and by Satan himself. And so what James is trying to tell us here is that, yeah, think about those guys. Because they have suffered greatly and horribly. Then he says, behold, verse 11, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. When we talk about suffering, Job's story is inevitable, okay, because this guy went through everything. He lost his wealth. He lost his possessions. He lost his family. He lost his wife. He lost his health. Friends. And so, yes, these prophets, those who would prophesy, spread the gospel, spread God's word, they had it tough. And Job's story is just one of the many that we have in record. However, 
when we suffer, and this is really important, when we suffer, sometimes we're so in depth into the problem that we have blinders on when we do suffer. And that's all we could see. We just have blinders. We're zeroed in on the problem. And that is the quickest way to frustration, no doubt. Thinking about it when you wake up. Think about it when you go to sleep. Think about it in between. That is the quickest way to frustration. But there's an alternative. There's an alternative. Have we ever thought of, just for a moment, disengaging from that problem? And I understand. I know some of you are thinking, what is this guy, an idiot? Of course I've done that. Okay, I understand. Some of us may have. Okay? But for those that haven't, okay, have we ever thought of disengaging? Just for a little bit. To get a clear perspective. To, to, to have a, a, a fresh train of thought. Because, again, sometimes when we do suffer, that is all we see. That is all we look to. And that is the same frustration that causes us to lash out against the people we love. When it's not even their fault. So, have we thought about disengaging? Now, the thing about these trials, and this is the beauty, the beauty about the gospel, and we'll, and we'll see how the gospel connects to this later, but these trials and sufferings, again, you need to be reminded, you are not alone. You are not alone in these sufferings. You are a child of God. And suffering is not pointless to you. It is not. It actually has a good point, a very wonderful point. But again, we can't really think about that. We can't look at to that purpose if we're just zeroed in in that suffering, zeroed in in that problem. And I'm not saying forget about it or sweep under the rug. I'm simply talking about disengaging. You still have the problem. So... If I'm coming across as I'm saying, just sweep it on the rug, that's not exactly what I'm saying. Or to look on the bright side, that's also not what I'm saying. Because to be frank, on this side of the world, there is no bright side. Things that are given to us could always be taken away. Always. This is a very temple, uh, temporal, fickle world we live in. Jobs, you get them, they take them away. Money, you get them, you take them away. Electricity, you get it, you take it away, you get it again. Some of us not for five days. But for those that are in Christ, the church, there is hope. And then verse 11, because he says, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. See, when Job was enduring suffering, enduring conflict, enduring pain, it wasn't just a pointless suffering. There was a greater purpose that the Lord had in mind, and of course, Job didn't see that. But you know the conversation the Lord had with Satan? And at the end of the day, the reason why Job suffered was to test his faith, to demonstrate Satan the, the faith that he had to help him know God better and to bless him because eventually God multiplied everything to Job. That was a greater purpose. But most of the work that the Lord did in the purpose was internal. He worked on his character. He worked on Job's faith. That is what Help them grow. So we may always be wondering, man, what's, what's, the, 
will of God for my life. We've already covered it, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is what we are set to do here. That is why we are here. That is why Jesus saved us, to sanctify us for his return. But again, these are the things that we miss if we are constantly engaged in with a problem. We can't see this purpose. If we don't take time to pray, meditate in the word, we don't see his purpose. Then we get to the end of verse 11. And this is what he says, the very last couple of words. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We all have fallen short of the glory of God, and we've said this many times. Yet, God is still compassionate and merciful. At times, uh, you know, when we suffer, we start saying, man, this isn't fair. Why can't God be this fair? Or why can't God be fair in general? Or, well, if God were to be fair, we'd all be condemned. That is what fair gets you, condemned. But thank the Lord that he's not fair. Because... We have rebelled against him, and as R.C. Sproul said, we have committed cosmic treason against a holy God. We are all condemned. However, if this verse teaches anything, is that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is with you, alongside you, as you suffer, and he does not give you what you deserve. Instead, he shows you mercy that came through his son, who although rightfully, you deserve wrath. Jesus stepped in your place and took the wrath for you. It was mercy and grace in the same manner. The Lord gave you what you didn't deserve in Jesus, but also didn't give you what you deserve in his wrath. Mercy and grace. It is this character of God that not only he possesses, but he shares with us through the Holy Spirit so that when we face these situations that are unbearable and are, and are suffering in our lives, we can also be patient and be long-suffering in them. So we could be compassionate and merciful and not bitter and not wavering, not scared of his return, but patient. It is the character of God that allows us to do this. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for joining us. It was really an honor and privilege to be able to share God's word with you and come alongside you if you haven't uh, explored the Bible before. I know that there's a lot to be said, but when it comes to what we were covering, the thing that I really want to convey to you is that the Lord has been patient even with you. The Lord has been patient even with you. He has been enduring the suffering 
because you are in rebellion to him. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That is Christian and non-Christians alike. All of us have. But the more you are outside of Christ, the more you don't give up your fickleness, your bitterness, and the more you are in rebellion to him, without repenting of your sins, without trusting in Jesus, he has even been compassionate and merciful right now. But I have to warn you, there will be one day where he will be coming back as a judge and he will judge the living and the dead. And those not found inside of Christ, they will be condemned forever. But the important thing to know right now is that the Lord has not left you. As a matter of fact, 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It is no coincidence that you are here right now. It is no coincidence that you're here. You came at the right time. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, and I would plead with you, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus because he will one day come back as a judge. He has been extremely patient. He has been compassionate and merciful with you. Romans says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is no coincidence that you're here today. So again, church, all of this being said, we must be patient in suffering. We have tools at our disposal. The people around us are willing to help. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. There is, there's much hope for the Christian in suffering, and these are the things we are to meditate on. We are to meditate at his arrival, that one day it will not be like this. We are to meditate on his establishing of our hearts, that we have a lifeline to him, that he does the work in us and establishes us. And we should be patient knowing that there is a purpose in our suffering. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. You have started a work in us. And we would pray that you would continue that work. We know that Suffering is not the easiest thing to endure. And I would add, especially as a Christian. But if there's one thing that we need to be reminded of is that you are faithful. When we suffer, when there's pain, when there's anger, bitterness, resentment, wavering, 
you are there to supply us with what we need. Some of us right now may be in that situation. And we would pray, Lord, that you would help us just as you have been. That your compassion and mercy continue to flow from you as it will. But Lord, that you would help us take the time to meditate and look upon you and what you are doing in us. That you would bring us peace in suffering. That you would reassure us that you're there. It is very hard to suffer righteously and we only depend on you. So Lord, we we pray for one another that you would strengthen us. We pray for your church globally that you would strengthen us, that you would give us a reminder of your love, compassion, that you give us a reminder of your arrival, of your purposes, so that we faint not, as Galatians says. Lord, we pray for the people in need right now. As the storm days ago was bad, there are people with no electricity, people with holes in their houses, fences knocked down. Lord, we pray for them as well, that you would supply them with whatever need it is that they need. But more than that, Lord, that it would be a great opportunity for your work to be done in evangelism. So, Lord, we pray that you would would strengthen us, that you would focus us towards you, that you would incline our hearts towards you so that we may know you better and so that we may wait patiently.